If you haven't grabbed one yet, guys, we have a gift for the gentleman today and kind of in honor of Father's Day. And I've had a few people ask me, what is it? <laughs> and it's, it's the world's most uncomfortable toothpick is what it is. Um, no, it's, uh, it's a very tiny screwdriver set. It's got a little, little socket there, and that's for repairing your glasses. But if you're like me, while you're repairing your glasses, you're going to need a, another pair of glasses to see what you're doing. But, but guys came up to me today and said, thanks, but what is it? Uh, we say that every now and then. We, we don't really understand what, what everything we've got is. A few years ago, there was a website that I used to go to every now and then. It was a blog, and it was called, What Is It? Uh, and people would submit pictures, um, pictures of tools that they had. You know, someone would be cleaning out grandpa's shed, or they'd be uh, at some antique shop, and they'd find this tool, and they they didn't know what it was for. So they submitted these pictures to the What Is It blog, and they pooled everybody's resources and pooled everybody's knowledge, and they tried to find out what it was for. And they, they answered a lot of questions. Sometimes they came up with the wrong answers, and, and those were pretty funny too when they did that. But here's a couple of samples from the What Is It blog. Here's an interesting thing. It looks like a pair of pliers with big, nasty teeth on them. I, what is it? Does anyone know what that is? Has anyone ever seen one of those? No. That is an ice crusher. A very, very old ice crusher. When you get ice in big blocks, you'd crush the ice for drinks using this. Can you imagine today having something like that to crush ice with? Here's an interesting what is it. It's an axe head of some sort. This is a boarding axe. And among others, pirates would use these to board ships. You could cut through the ropes and you could cut the masts and rip everything up. It's a, it's a boarding axe. Here's an interesting one. This is very obviously a back scratcher. Oh. Maybe it's a dental tool. We thought maybe it was a dental tool. I think you could use that to pull a tooth. That, that is, does anyone know what that one is? That's a little more common, not terribly common, but you may have seen one. That is a barbed wire stretcher. This is what that is. When you're setting up barbed wire fence, you would stretch the barbed wire out to uh, avoid getting caught in the barbs. Now, tools like that are a great reminder. You know, barbed wire changed life in America. When someone came up and they invented barbed wire, that changed the way we do everything when they, when they invented that. Now, someone had to come along later and say, you know what we need? <laughs> we need a barbed wire stretcher so that we don't hurt our hands, so we don't mess up our gloves and get them snagged while we're putting up barbed wire. Someone came up with that. And there was a time when industry was, was so new and, and, and was growing at such a level that people looked at jobs and they said, we need a tool to do this job better. And they went out and they designed those tools. They built those tools. Some of them caught on. Some of them didn't. But for every job, there is a tool that you need to do that job. That's true of, of farming. Uh, that's true of accounting. Uh, that's true of medical work. That is true of plumbing. It's true of everything. For every job you have, there is a tool to do that job. And that can also be true in the church. Do you remember, do you remember what we saw in Ephesians 2? We've looked back at Ephesians 2 a few times. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God chose you and me for this time and this place in which we live to serve Him. And in the same way that for every job there is a tool designed for that job, for every possible need there is 
in our church and in our community, God has placed someone here to meet that need. God would not have put you here in this time and in this place if He did not have a purpose for you. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 today, verses 1 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4. If you're using the Bibles there in the pews, it's page 977. I want to begin with just the first six verses of this passage. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I love this passage. I love what he says here in these 16 verses because he tells us pretty much everything we need to know about the church. And I love where he begins with this call to unity. We are one, and that is emphasized over and over again. But what I want you to really see today is where he begins. That call of unity comes with a purpose, and it's right there in the very beginning. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. What does it look like to walk in a manner worthy of our calling? He's calling us to recognize that God has chosen you to serve Him in this time and in this place. He begins with all this talk of unity. He says, being eager to maintain the unity. Being eager to maintain the unity through the bond of peace. And over and over again, he reminds us we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. No one has anything over anyone else. I can't look at you and say, you're not as good as me because I have an extra baptism. Or I have two lords, so that makes me more spiritual than you. No, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. We only get one. And once he's laid that foundation, he throws in, <laughs> he throws in a but. And it's a pretty big but. He says, but grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace is one of Paul's favorite words. He mentions grace over and over again. There's only six chapters in Ephesians, and out of those six chapters, 11 times he talks about grace over and over again. He, he mentions grace, and he uses it in different ways with, with different understandings. In, in chapter 2, verse 8, he says, it is by grace that you have been saved. And he presents God's grace as this free gift that you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, but, but you got it. It was freely given to you. But here, it's not grace given based on our sin need and our need for salvation, but it is grace apportioned according to the measure of Christ's gift. You see the difference? In chapter 2, he says you are washed in grace. If you go back to chapter 1, in chapter 1 he says grace was lavished on us. I mean, just we're overflowing with grace. And then we come 
to, to this passage. We come to, to chapter, chapter 4, verse 7, and he says, you get this grace, and you get this grace, and, and you're going to get these graces, and you're going to get this over here. It's apportioned out because it, here in chapter 4, verse 7, it's not saving grace, it is serving grace that he's talking about. Grace that equips us to serve each other, grace that equips us to serve Christ in the church with each role, with each function that we have as we serve. And the beauty of this serving grace is it helps us to realize that the services that we offer, the different things that we do to serve, we don't do them by our own power. We don't do them by, our, by ourselves. I don't serve with, with my own gifts, with my own, with my own talent, with my own abilities. It's truly a gift from God given back to God. And we have to understand that because one of the issues that we have personally when it comes to serving is fear of failure or fear of screwing up. Uh, we're afraid we're going to mess something up. What if I do it wrong? What if I say something wrong? What if I, what if I do this wrong? And, and so rather than putting it all on us, he says to each one of you, grace has been given to serve. And, and the other side of that, and I hate to mention this, but the other side of that is sometimes we get a little, we get a little critical when someone serves. We get a little critical. We get a little judgy. And we, we criticize them. And, and one reason why someone might serve and then never serve again is, well, I did it. And people told me they didn't like it. I did it, and then I got criticized. And so they don't serve anymore. Well, if, if they're serving because Christ has given them the grace to serve, if we're critical, who are we criticizing? Are, are we criticizing Christ? Are we criticizing His grace? Are we criticizing... Who are we judging in, in that setting? And so, I think what we have to keep in mind for all of us, for our church, for our community, is this. There will never be a need presented to our community that God has not given grace for. I say it again? There will never be a need presented to our community that God has not given grace for. No one should ever be able to say, yeah, someone ought to do something about that, but they're not. Because if there's a need in our community, in our church, then there's grace given to meet that need. God would not present us with a graceless need. Grace is always given. There's no such thing as graceless service. Again, verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The other side of that is there's never a need in our church, in our community, where God doesn't provide people to fill those needs, to meet those needs, and, and not only provide the people, but equip them with grace to meet those needs. And when we see that, then we can see Christ in every service we offer in the church. In everything that we do, we ought to be able to see Christ in that. Do you remember what we've come to understand about Jesus? Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Right. So if you and I are Christians, which means little Christs, little Christ people, if we are Christians and we're following a guy who said, my job is to be a servant, then guess what our jobs are going to be? We're here to serve. We're here to, to provide service. We're here to do things for people. That's what we understand. Now this isn't so much about, well, your service is this, and my service is that, and you go do your thing, and I'm going to go do my thing, and and you know, we won't have to deal with each other anymore. As long as you keep busy and I keep busy, we'll all be fine. No, he, 
he reminds us that, that this grace has been apportioned to each one of us. And so when we work through grace, when we serve through grace, we're serving through His power, and He uses us together. And as a result, servants work together. This isn't a one-person show. This isn't even just a few people show. We are all called to serve. He goes on in verses 8 through 10. Verses 8 through 10, Paul illustrates his point. He takes us back to a verse in Psalms 68. And he says, Therefore, it says, Therefore, because grace was given to each one of us, that's why it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Well, in saying he ascended, what does that mean but that also he had to descend into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. What's he saying? What he's saying is simply this. We trust that God rules in heaven, right? We believe that God rules in heaven. We pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? It's done perfectly in heaven. So if we believe that God rules in heaven, why do we have trouble believing that He rules when I help out with VBS? Or when you are preparing communion? Or when you're caring for this person or caring for that person? When you're, when you're washing a, a floor or when you're washing windows? How do we not see that God rules in those moments also? If He rules perfectly in heaven, then I have to believe that He is powerful enough and strong enough and all-knowing enough that He rules in the little services that we offer, the little things that we do for each other, the things that we do for our community. We have to be able to see Him in all of those things. And then He goes on in verses 11 and 12. He says, And He gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Every Christian, what He's saying is simply this, Every Christian who has ever lived, every church that has ever existed was built on this foundation. Apostles and prophets. People who heard the Word of the Lord and preached the Word of the Lord. Who wrote the Word of the Lord. Who proclaimed the Word of the Lord. The apostles and the prophets. The evangelists. People who took the Word of the Lord into the world. Who spread the Word of the Lord. And then he mentions shepherds and teachers. And he's talking about our elders, when he says shepherds, he's talking about those that lead the individual churches. These are people who know the word of the Lord, but they also know the heart of the church, the local church. They know the heartbeat of that local community. They know the needs that are there, and they're able to apply the word of the Lord to the need of the community. Now you, your gifts, the way that you serve, may look very different, wildly different from mine, but if we all begin on that same foundation, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, if we all begin on that same foundation, we all begin with that same level, that same grace as Christ apportioned it, so we're all serving from the same source. Therefore, we're all serving with the same goal. What's the goal? In verse 12 again, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. I love that word, equip. I've, I've always just kind of felt myself drawn to that word, equip. To equip means to put right. It's actually a medical term. It's the term we use when you got a broken bone, and before they can put the cast on, what do they have to do to that bone? They have to set it, right? They have to put that bone right. If they don't put the bone right, 
your arm ends up curved funny and the muscles don't work right and, and the arm is going to hurt and it's, it's just not going to work. But if they put it right, that place where the bone knits back together, it's stronger than it was before. It, it becomes stronger than it was before. To put it right means you're going to make it work together. That's what he says he's doing with the church. He is putting it right. He is equipping the saints. He is knitting us together so that we work together. When you and I through the grace given to each one of us when we serve together, when we work together, we end up stronger. Stronger than just you serving and me serving and you serving over here because we're serving together. We are knit together. And what we end up with blesses in ways that you and I as individuals could never bless. All those little bits of grace, all those little portions of grace that we have, it overflows and it impacts our community. It impacts our world. Servants work together for the same Master, for the same Lord, towards the same goal. What's that goal? What are we building? That's something we really need to try and see for ourselves. That's something we have to try and see for our whole community. Sometimes we need to stop and ask, what will this look like? <laughs> What's this going to look like when it's done? That's, that's always the question. What's this going to look like when it's done? You know, four years ago, four, this week, we will celebrate four years since we broke ground on the new building. Those are the contractors we hired. Man, None of them. They were a little long in the tooth. But anyway, so, so we came on, on June 24th, four years ago, we all gathered together out here and, and we turned soil. You know, we had, we had hard hats and we had gold shovels and, you know, we had everything ready and, and, and people were saying, what's this going to look like? What's it going to be like? And so we had this picture and we had this picture and we had it on uh, sheets of paper that had prayer schedules on it. We had a, something different for you to pray for every day. We wanted you to pray for the, con, for the construction workers, for their safety. We wanted to pray for the impact. We wanted you to pray for the community, for all the things we were doing. We had every day, we had a different prayer for you to keep the focus on what we were building. We had little magnets that just said, pray for Kansas Christian Church, and it had that picture on it. That's what we were working towards. I don't know where those trees are right now, but someday there'll be those trees there. And that grass, it's not quite that color today, but it's getting there. That was our goal. That was what we were working towards. Today, you know, on June 24th, it was just a few people turning dirt. That was the goal. And so Paul spends 16 verses here describing the church. He starts with that call of unity back in verse 3 that you would make every effort eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What does that look like all grown up? Well, then you jump ahead. 10 verses to verse 13, and he says, until, remember back there in verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, and then verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, we'll look like Jesus. We'll love people the way Jesus loves people. We'll care for people the way Jesus cares for people. We'll, we'll, we'll provide the way Jesus provided. We will serve and live and care and love like Jesus. That's, that's the point. If Jesus said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and we follow Him, then guess what we get to do? We get to serve like Jesus. Verse 13, He says, until, <laughs> until we all attain the unity of the faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness 
of Christ, to mature manhood. Uh, babies, you guys know about babies, right? Uh, babies, when they're born, um, their heads are roughly one-fourth of the entire proportion of their body. Their heads are, are bigger, the limbs are, the arms and legs are short and stubby, but the heads are, are big and soft. And, you know, we don't continue to grow like that as we get older. You know, we, we don't, their heads do not, you know, my head, as big as it may be sometimes, it's not one-fourth the size of my entire, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Well, let me show you something. Somebody had a little bit of fun with this, and they photoshopped pictures of adults uh, they, they changed the body proportions so that they looked like toddlers and, and little kids. So, so this is what we would look like if, yeah. Now, it's cute, you know, and you get the little stubby arms, you get the big heads, you know, that's, that's what we would all look like. You know, can you imagine a whole bunch of people running around with great big heads? We'd, we'd all look like Cub fans this year, right? So, you know, we'd all look like, we'd all look like that, you know, that we, and we see that, and, and you know, you know that's not quite right. You know, that's, that's not quite right. And so we look different as we mature. And that's Paul's point here. Mature manhood. A mature church is going to look different than a baby church. We're, we're going to grow into our features. So how can we tell when we are maturing? We can tell when we begin to look and act and react more like Jesus. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That is what immaturity looks like. Immaturity has no foundation. Immaturity has nothing firm to stand upon. Immaturity just kind of blows around all over the place, bounces from, from here to there, blown all over the place, no direction. Instead, he says in verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Jesus. You see, that's, that's a mature body. That's a mature body. That's what maturity looks like. Not the, not the man with the big baby head. You know, This is what maturity looks like looks like. And he goes on in verse 16, from whom the whole body, the whole church, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, is knit together when each part is working properly. It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Servants work together. Just like our bodies work together with one goal, one aim, one purpose, to look and act like Jesus in our world. That has to be central to our thoughts and motivations when we serve. You know, we, we have to have that foundation so we're not blown around by every wind. That's why we, we ask you to concentrate on words like this, gather, grow, serve. And that's why we ask you to consider what are we doing as a church to do these three things? To encourage people to come together, to encourage people to grow in their relations, to encourage people to serve. And if, if something doesn't fit, gather, grow, serve, we probably shouldn't do it. it it's probably, it doesn't keep with our foundation. We've got to consider those things. And we have to, that has to be central to our thoughts and our motivations. You know, it's, it's not a matter of us looking at this and saying, well, does this make me look good? <laughs> Is this going to make our church look good? No, it's 
what we have to think is, is, can they see Jesus through this? Can they see Jesus in this, in this gift, this service, this, this gift I'm doing, this, this foot washing, this floor washing, this window washing, whatever it might be, can they see Jesus through this? There's a phrase we use. We use it every now and then. I've used it before. It's a phrase we use when you're, when you're doing a job for someone and you know they're not going to appreciate all the extra time you took. You know they're not going to appreciate the little details that you put into the work. And, and you know that since they're not going to notice it, you're not going to do the extra work. You know what the phrase that we use is? It's good enough for who it's for. Have you ever said that? Good enough for who it's for? Yeah. It's kind of the anthem of slackers, isn't it? You know, well, may not be perfect, but good enough for who it's for. But what if who it's for is Jesus? What does good enough for who it's for look like when it's for Jesus? What does good enough for who it's for look like when I'm writing a sermon and I'm picking over every little word? When does it become good enough for who it's for? What does who good enough for who it's for look like when you're teaching a class and you're thinking, are these kids really going to notice? Are they going to care whether or not I do this? What does good enough for who it's for look like with, uh, when, when we're taking care of our neighbors, when we're washing someone's feet, when we're, we're meeting some need in our church or in our community? Can we look at the things that we do? Can we look at the lives that we touch, the ways that we serve, and truly say, this is for Jesus, and this is good enough for who it's for. Just stand with me. I'm going to pray. Father, today we're thankful that when you acted to save us, when you reached out to provide salvation and the forgiveness that we need, you didn't simply say, well, it's, it's good enough for who it's for. You gave us your very best. And gave us Your Son. And so as we serve You today and this week, we pray that we can give You our very best. As we help out a friend, as we help out a neighbor, as we help out someone we don't even like, maybe. And maybe people we don't know. Remind us that our service isn't based on their need and our service is not based on our relationship or our feelings towards that person. Our service is a reflection of Your amazing love. Help us to show them that they're Help us to show them through our service that there is a God who wants the very best for them. And we thank You on this Father's Day that as a Heavenly Father, You looked at us in our need, in the mess that we had created, and You sent Your Son who was beyond just good enough. He was perfect in every way to be the perfect gift so that we could be saved and so that in turn we could serve You. We thank You. I pray that everything that we do is more than good enough for who it's for. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.